Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today I speak with Panina Kamani from Nairobi, Kenya. Panina spends her time thinking about equity within the education system and the role technology can play to promote it. Panina is the Chief Digital Officer of Longhorn Publishers, the only publicly listed publishing corporation in the largest public publishing house in East and Central Africa. She is committed to enhancing collaborative learning in institutions using technology, data, and analytics to ensure each learner achieves their potential. Her strong belief in the transformative power of, it, of education led her to build applications that promote collaboration, efficiency, and transparency for both learners and teachers. She previously co-founded SproutFi Learning, a mobile and web administrative tool for schools. Her previous experience teaching A-level economics and business studies at a learning center in Nairobi provided great insights into the challenges teachers are facing. She previously worked for impact investing organizations in Montreal and Boston. She studied finance and strategic management at McGill University. Hi, Panina. Welcome to the Everyday Leader podcast. Great to have you on and to chat with you about your experience in the ed tech sector, but also uh, your various leadership uh, roles that you've held both at small startups and also larger companies. So welcome. Thanks, Chris, for having me. I'm excited to share my experiences. Before we dive into what you're doing now, uh, especially around uh, ed tech and, and some of the trends that are happening there, I'd love to hear a bit more about your early leadership origin story. What, what's, a, what's a story that you have that takes us back to when you started first um, taking on leadership responsibilities, whether that was uh, projects or team members? I would actually say I'd go way back to when I was in college and I actually had various leadership roles. So I was the president of the African Student Society at McGill University and then the vice president of the Women's Society. And then it was also through the university that I actually ended up starting my first venture called Safi, which was a waste management company. It's interesting uh, that you mentioned different leadership roles during university and, and in school. Yeah. In, in my own uh, experience, just, you know, you got me thinking back, you know, back in high school, I was, you know, always doing like student uh, council, it was called, and different leadership roles there. And yeah. I haven't thought about that in years, but in, in a way, it's not something I necessarily put on my CV anymore, but it definitely, uh, in, in a lot of ways, shaped uh, my character and, and how I went about uh, pursuing and exploring leadership uh, roles. So in your experience in university, what, what motivated you to uh, explore these types of leadership and entrepreneurial pursuits? I, I think actually just going back to what you just said, you just made me remember now if I was going back even to like high school or primary school and where some of these, I think, characteristics or traits were developed. So, for instance, I remember now I took a, it was called a Lambda course, learning um, London arts and drama course. And I think that's the first time that I actually got experience when it came to public speaking and self-confidence. And I think from that point on, the ability to speak up for myself has always been something at the forefront of what I do and being an advocate for people. And I think now that's what led me into these leadership roles in university, um, advocating for African students in a Canadian university, advocating for women um, at the university, and then now 
ha having built up that confidence enough to be like, actually, I can go on and keep doing this in, in whatever career path that I decide to take. And the first area that I'd looked at was in waste management, like I just said, for SAFI. And for that, I just, I just saw an opportunity because when I was in, in Montreal, in Canada, and we were recycling materials, and that was just a different behavior to what I've experienced here in Kenya. And when I looked at how we went about waste management here, there is little to limited recycling that was happening um, at that point in time, this is like 2010. And I thought that, hey, this is a great opportunity to start pushing the sustainability agenda, as well as looking for commercially viable opportunities to ensure that our waste management as a country is more efficient. So that's where that all started from. You mentioned confidence, and I hear this a lot. Confidence, in my experience, often uh, is built up or, or torn down based on like feedback loops uh, that you get from the people around you and, and the results that you get. Uh, what, what helped to build your confidence specifically? Was there certain experiences or positive yeah. or negative uh, outcomes that uh, kept you pushing forward and, and being confident enough to you know, see what you saw in Canada with recycling and, and recognizing that there was an opportunity for impact to start something uh, in, in Kenya, I presume. I guess the first area I would say is my parents. And so my mom was like, is my greatest cheerleader in everything that I do. So I think that, you know, she gets an A1 there for, uh, for building my confidence. And then the other element is that like as a household, we always had to rationalize decisions. And so when you think through something um, and you're like, what's the worst thing that could possibly happen here, right? It actually builds your confidence because when you go through all of the different scenarios and you're analytical about it, that's how I think that I build confidence. So if I see a scenario or see potential in an area and I look at what are the downsides and the areas in which I can mitigate them, then, you know, let's go for it. Let's try it out. And then what's the worst that can happen? You fail and then you learn and you try again. So there's, there's no real downside to things. I just look at them as learning lessons. Absolutely. And I noticed that you also participated in various uh, leadership programs, uh, the Equity Af African Leadership Program, and then you also served in a role at the McGill Women in Leadership. Uh, what, what kind of impact did those types of programs and roles play when you are actively thinking and, and working around this topic of leadership? If I think about my experience at M. Will McGill Women in Leadership, I think that was my first experience dealing with a fully multicultural team. And there were so many nuances into how people communicated. And I think that was one of the, the key things for me. So. This is a small segue. I remember like a meeting that starts, let's say at 9 a.m. and then I'll show up at 9 a.m. But then some people were there at like 8.30. And so you start to see um, the different ways and different expectations that people have based upon like their cultural backgrounds as well. So I, I remember that's just a funny one because as I think there's like a, a thing about us as Africans and being a bit poor with timing. So, and then with, equity, what that gave me an opportunity 
with, with the foundation was to critically examine uh, our education systems. And actually, what I worked on was the Equity Group Foundation's Wing to Fly program, which supports students from marginalized communities to find education opportunities and employment opportunities. So I think that was also the first instance like where I got a taste for um, education. And I think that's actually what stemmed my passion now and drove me to fully dive into EdTech. Before we move into EdTech, I, I want to dig a little bit into this leadership program thing. Um, I was just thinking through my own experience with various leadership programs in and I feel that they can be hit or miss. Uh, I've had some early leadership programs that I participated in, one in particular that stood out as being uh, actually impactful um, would be uh, a program I participated in called the National Outdoor Leadership School in the United States, where we essentially went on a two-week backpacking trip uh, in the middle of nowhere. Essentially, one of the activities was each day you were made a team leader with a small group of peers where you charted uh, from point A and point to point B on a map and you got to make all of the calls and the rest of the team kind of had to follow you and we rotated uh, in that role. And that was quite uh, eye-opening in terms of what it, what it means to you know, have the quote unquote authority to make certain decisions and that the rest of the team uh, counted on you mm -hmm. because you, know, you didn't want to mm -hmm. get lost in the middle of the woods and you didn't want to get late and miss dinner. Uh, so uh, I've also participated in other types of leadership programs that seemed a bit more like superficial and that I didn't walk away actually having recognized or, or developed new leadership principles or behaviors. You mentioned with your experience that you picked up on, on things like, you know, uh, people's behaviors around showing up on time and and that it introduced you to, to new sectors like ed tech that you ended up pursuing. Would you say that there's any uh, thing that people should keep in mind when they do consider approaching leadership programs, uh, how to make the most of it, or which types of programs uh, would be worth pursuing in your experience? I think there's a number of factors that people could consider. One would be in their area of interest. I think that when you're excited about something or whatever that is, like your work or the industry, then you're more keen on learnings. I think the second element for that would be the networks, right? So an area that is very important when it comes to leadership is having a good mentor and your ability to identify someone who would be able to help you grow as a person. I think another element would be consideration of soft skills and how much time do you spend actually being vulnerable and self-reflecting upon the areas that you want to grow and then does the program offer you opportunities to learn in those areas. I like what you said about making sure that the program is focused um, not just on leadership, but leadership with a twist on a particular um, focus area. Like I've seen a lot of programs that are you know, leadership in agriculture or leadership in uh, solar energy. And I think that's a good way to focus 
because leadership is so broad uh, to be able to focus and apply mm -hmm. that in a particular uh, setting. And I think that also leads into what you said around mentors, because mentors can be great if they have the context and, and they have the industry uh, understanding and expertise to uh, point you in the right direction and, and, and the right opportunities uh, within that uh, sector. Thanks for, for sharing on that. So, so moving to, you mentioned that you, you had started Safi, uh, which was the recycling uh, startup. Uh, was that, were you on your own for that or did you end up having a team? No, I was on my own for that. <laughs> and what the greatest learning lesson I realized from that experience was, oh, you can't do it on your own. Um, there's like an African proverb that says, if you want to go quickly, do it alone. If you want to go far, do it with others. And I literally experienced that with Safi. So that's one of those things <laughs> that everyone knows, but they have to experience yeah. themselves yeah. to really uh, for it to hit home. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. And so was that an intentional choice uh, or is that just, you know, the the reality of what you were trying to do and get off the ground? And what did you learn about yourself uh, as a solo founder uh, during that time? It's actually quite difficult to find a co-founder. And so while at the university, I hadn't had an opportunity or chance to look for a person to support me on that journey. And then when I came back home and now started off with operations, the other thing that I realized is that you can create the best business plan and you know, you think that you've thought through all of the different elements, the best financial models, but another thing that we have here in, in Kenya is Vitukwa groundly different. And it literally means like on the ground, um, things will be very, very different. So coming here and then looking at these structural obstacles, the um, political climate when it comes to waste management, uh, there are a lot of things that I hadn't uh, actually envisioned and found quite challenging to navigate through. And so you ended up starting a, another company later on, Sproutfy Learning. Um, are you also a, a solo founder in that endeavor or have you changed your approach? So actually how that came about was I was teaching A-level economics and business studies at the learning center here. A-levels the last year were failing in the previous institutions. So we just had a couple of months to get them a passing grade in order to go off to university or a higher learning institution. And so in my teaching experience there, I realized that I could actually give each student content in a manner that was specific to them and also focus on other areas such as mentorship and career development. And what that resulted in was that students were, you know, leaping three, four grade boundaries in a few months. And that's actually what spurred my motivation to get into edtech because I was like, how can I do this at scale? How can I support students in order to achieve their full potential? And so with that um, journey <laughs> with Spotify was actually when I did the needs assessment and I was telling schools, hey, you know, I have this, this new way I, I want to support you in being able to teach your students. 
and schools were able to tell me, actually, Penina, we have structural issues that are prohibiting us from providing our students with, a, with the highest quality of an education. Um, there are challenges when it comes to running the admin and back end of a school operations from class management to fee management. And that's actually what now gave birth to Sproutify. And I met up with a co-founder and then we started on that journey. So uh, tell me more about your interest in ed tech. So you, you know, uh, were more on the recycling side, but then you participated in some programs related to leadership uh, and education, and then uh, have kind of pursued ed tech uh, in, in the past few years. What about ed tech stands out to you? I think that this is amazing. Could you tell me a bit more about Longhorn Publishers, like what they do and what your role uh, entails as the chief digital officer? You mentioned around the methodology uh, of how students learn, but what does that uh, really look like? So Longhorn Publishers is the only publicly listed publishing house in Eastern Central Africa. We've been putting out content for over 50 years, and the areas of focus are curriculum aligned for nine countries. And we also have creatives. So we do publish you know, novels and books. And then now we're venturing into higher education publishing as well. Uh, my role at Longhorn is honestly the best. I get to spend a lot of my time performing needs assessments with all of our different stakeholders. So I get to talk to students, to teachers who are at the core of education, to parents, to government, um, to other organizations. And once I've identified any issues that they're facing, I get to now create different products to meet those needs um, within the education paradigm. And so what I'm now focused on specifically when it comes to e-learning at Longhorn is Longhorn is pioneering e-learning before e-learning was even a thing. They actually started looking at it in 2016. And then last year, we actually offered our e-learning platform for free in partnership with a telecommunications company here so that students didn't have to spend any money on data charges. And what I saw from that experience and what I want to improve on is now providing each learner with this personalized experience that I've been talking about. And how we're going about doing that is we have our own algorithm because we have a huge, huge content data bank that we've developed over years with specialized instructors. And we're now using machine learning and AI to provide an adaptive learning experience. And all that means is that if I'm a student and I learn best, you know, visually um, with, in terms of like an evaluative or recall, the different parameters that we have, then that's how our system will churn out content to you to make sure that you fully grasped a concept. It's inspiring to hear such a kind of an incumbent legacy company really embracing and leading uh, in terms of e-learning. 
and really uh, kind of embracing the future of learning. So that that's really fascinating to hear. I'm curious in your role as chief digital officer, uh, is that? No, I do coordinate a team. So we, because we're a publicly listed company, so we do have a strategy document that we as um, the heads of departments curate together. And we have a vision, a three-year vision for our organization. And so with regards to the e-learning, we want to ensure that all students get access to content in the best format that they need in order to excel across Africa. And so what I get to do is I have to, I have my own um, team of content developers, product developers, sales teams, and then I also have to coordinate this with our diff the different countries that we're in as well. Because what we also realize is that content is also nuanced based off of the different countries. And that's how we've been curating um, the content that we have. So it's been interesting. I came in and there was, there was a team that was there before I came in. And then obviously now I've grown and changed the structure of my team and different elements of that. So compared with your previous roles in more of a early stage a startup environment, what would you say is uh, your favorite part of working at a larger organization? And uh, on the other side, what, what are you perhaps struggling with uh, in terms of being based in a, a bigger organization? The best thing about having or working for a large organization is access to resources. That's really what you need in order to get your vision, um, to realize your vision. And I'm really grateful that I'm able to devise my plans and create a plan and then long one is gonna help me execute them because um, that's what our vision is. My personal vision and the company's vision are completely aligned. And I think that's rare, I think for a lot of people, so I think that I'm really lucky to have that. What I would say is a challenge, of course, uh, with a larger organization, there is a lot more bureaucracy. And even as an organization, we are going through a cultural transformation. And so we do recognize that there are areas in which we want to improve on, such as faster execution, um, customer centricity, and so even we as leadership actually going through a training program to help us be better leaders. And have you seen Longhorn make strides in that type of kind of cultural transformation? Do you have an example of what you've seen uh, improve even within the, the first year of working there? Yes. So I think the first element is recognizing that there's room for improvement. Uh, I think I think that's just the most important element. So even before I came, that's a journey that they had begun, and then now we really dived into it. So one of the key things that we've done is sort of like break up the hierarchy or the perception of it with regards to our team members. Um, just this is this is to ensure that everyone at Longhorn knows that their voice is important. They have critical information that would have a direct impact on anything and everything that we're doing. And so we wanted to make sure that those channels of communication are first 
opened up and then that people also feel free enough to share what's on their mind. And I can say that I've seen that quite clearly even within my team. And so um, in your role now, it's, it's you know, different. You're you know, in a bigger organization. You uh, are able to implement uh, various initiatives with the resources available. Um, how would you say that your leadership style has evolved over the past few years? You mentioned that you, you know, it came from this background of, of privilege and support, and that gave you the confidence to pursue new ideas. Uh, now that you've stepped into this more corporate setting, how does your leadership style and collaboration style play out? Okay, so actually, one of my first jobs that I had in in Montreal, so my boss was very laissez-faire, and you know we had Sanka set happy hour in the office, and you kind of created your own work schedule and timing. You'd go into the office if there was a meeting or if you had a client meeting, but other than that, like you had to coordinate your own time. And so that being one of my first jobs and then the subsequent jobs I had after that, that I think that kind of molded my leadership style in that my preference is to be rather lazy, fair and empower my team members to make decisions and to execute. And I think now coming into a larger organization, what I realized was that depending on the type of leader that people had before, and I, and I think that they weren't used to that aspect of not being um, as micromanaged, maybe I, would, I should say that, put it that way. I think they were a bit shocked. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, some people did take it as an opportunity to sort of slack off. And so I had to now be very clear that I think that the value of my team members is in them executing on their own time without me having to handhold them into doing their day-to-day -day tasks, because then that takes away from what I'm able to do. And so that actually resulted in me changing a lot of my team. And I also realized that it is important that you, your leadership style is aligned with that of your team in order for you to actually produce results. So true. So true. Uh, glad that you were able to navigate that because that is quite a, a change when you're used to having a small team and you're very aligned and people are self-motivated. Uh, in a lot of cases, but then moving to a bigger organization where people are maybe used to more hands-on uh, accountability uh, and oversight. So um, glad that you could compromise, compromise and find uh, kind of a, uh, a middle ground there, and it seems to be working. So, so just as we wrap, I'd love to hear maybe your thoughts uh, a bit more on the future of EdTech and where you see certain trends going? Is there anything that's maybe um, coming up or, or, or underappreciated or overlooked uh, in, your, in your view? Personally, I think that the most important element for me is that we put our students first. Anything that we think about when it comes to air tech should be student-centered. And this should be in terms of understanding 
this new generation of students and actually creating an environment where they feel as creative, where they lose some of these elements when we're thinking about education as a whole. And so one of the things that, that's really critical for me is that I want to bring back excitement when it comes to learning. You know how when little kids go to kindergarten and they're super excited, and then as you keep going through school, you get less and less excited about it. And I think that's so sad. So I think that there's something that we've lost there in terms of how we're relating with these young learners that I think that's the area that we should focus on. And then specifically for me, when it comes to ed tech is now gamifying content so that they actually enjoy going through it, um, helping them understand the impact of what it is that they're learning, and then also providing you know, teachers with the resources for them to be able to provide students with the content that they need in the format that they need. Amazing. And uh, I expect that you will be a part of that continual uh, improvement in, in student-centered uh, future. So uh, really exciting times and, and glad that you have uh, found uh, this opportunity to contribute towards Long, Longhorn Publishers' growth in digitization. Uh, it was amazing hearing your own leadership journey and how you've navigated your early career experiences and startup experiences to to now really hone in on how to uh, adapt your leadership style and and grow your impact through edtech, which uh, it's obvious you're very passionate about. So thank you so much for your time today. <laughs>